When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to Past, the podcast about those who would never rule. I'm Veronica Fortune. And this week's episode is Isabella of France, part one. Starting this episode has been the most difficult of all thus far. If you're offended by anything I'm about to say, this probably isn't the series for you. See yourself out. You'll be hearing this on the 1st of August, 2022, at the earliest. But I started writing this on the 25th of June in Australia which was the 24th in the U.S., the day the Supreme Court of the United States overturned Roe v. Wade. I'm a dual American-Australian citizen, raised in the U.S., as my accent may indicate. My parents, my three sisters, and my sister-in-law, along with my best friend, countless other friends, and over 150 million women all live in the U.S. Today, their basic human rights were taken away. The marriage of one of my sisters is at risk of being invalidated in the coming months. Politics is fascinating, but what's going on currently is a train wreck. If you're listening to a history podcast about those who came close to ruling, politics should fascinate you. This last series has been about women, women who were interesting and whose lives mattered. Their rights were ignored and their claims were passed over. And here we are. 650 plus years later, just letting it happen again. Please stand up with women now. Stand up for our rights, because this group of morally questionable conservatives will not stop with this. They will take all they can until the world is molded into a Stone Age image. I don't take advice from Odin or Zeus any more than I should take it from the Bible. No one should want to live in a theocracy. Not when we know we can have a better world. Protest, strike, unionize, vote. Choose where you spend your money. Money equals a voice, according to this backwards court. Today's subject, Isabella, died more than 650 years ago. I can't begin to guess what she would think of this decision, but I do know how she would respond if she felt as strongly as I do. I can't raise an army, but I can add my voice to one. With that, please enjoy this week's episode. Isabella of France is probably one of the best known of the subjects featured on this show thus far. Sadly, 
I'm pretty sure that's due to the highly inaccurate portrayal of her in Braveheart. A nuanced woman who inspired military leaders, negotiated political support, and led an army to overthrow her husband after having been a faithful and supportive wife for a decade and a half, is often diluted to a pretty woman willing to use her looks and body to get what she wanted. Her intelligence, strategic thinking, and ability to network are glossed over. She had been raised by two loving parents and had a good relationship with her older brothers. No one could doubt that was what she thought she would be getting herself when she married the dashing, tall, fit, and handsome young King of England. Sadly, her dream was not to be. And when what she cared about was taken, she decided to use her wit and take matters into her own hands, securing the rule of her son and her safety along with it. Isabella of France was likely born in 1295. The state is based on her next older sibling, the future Charles V's birthday of June of 1294, and her having reached 12 before her wedding in 1308. Oh yes, we've got a very young child bride again. She was the youngest child and only surviving daughter of Philip the Fair and Joan I of Navarre. Isabella's mother passed away in 1305 when Isabella was at the most 10. Her parents had assured that she was highly educated and well-raised in the expectations of a princess. Isabella, like her father and brothers, is described as beautiful. While this is a common statement to be made about women in this time, I do believe in this family's case it was the truth. Partially because her mother was not included in that description. Joan I of Navarre was called plain and plump in one of the most honest descriptions of a royal woman from this time. If a court writer is willing to put that on paper, I'm sure he's telling the truth about the rest of Philip the Fair's family. Unlike the earlier subjects in this series, Isabella had no expectation of ruling France. As we will see, everything she does when it comes to ruling is to secure her son's reign and her own safety, plus a bit of money. She never made any moves to try to take the kingdom from her cousin following the deaths of all three of her brothers. But she never stood in her son's way, at least not on that account. Isabella's marriage, like those of her brothers, were made for political reasons. As I mentioned in Robert Curthose and Empress Matilda's episodes, the English crown owed homage for its French territories to the French king. While those territories had shrunk considerably since the time of Matilda and only encompassed the Gascon region of Aquitaine, they were still a point of contention between the two crowns. As part of a peace treaty made between Edward I of England, sometimes referred to as Longshanks, and Philip the Fair in 1299, Edward I would marry Philip the Fair's half-sister, Margaret, and they would arrange the marriage of Edward's oldest son, the future Edward II, to Isabella once she reached the canonical age for a marriage of 12. The hope was that having two English brides would provide a reason to avoid war, kind of like hostages, but the bride gets to live with her jailer. Oh, diplomacy. 
At some point after the treaty was arranged, Edward I tried to back out of the second marriage contract. He obviously couldn't end his own marriage, which was highly successful, but he did think he could secure his son a more advantageous Spanish marriage. Before he could make final arrangements, he died on his way to hammer the Scots, or at least try. Edward I's self-anointed Super K was hammer of the Scots, though his record in battle against them was closer to a draw than the name would suggest. Edward II finalized the arrangements with Philip the Fair, and on the 25th of January, 1308, Isabella and Edward married in Boulogne. Edward was 24, Isabella was 12. Edward was tall, like his father, physically fit, intelligent, well-educated, and apparently rather funny. It's surprising when considering how he is portrayed in popular culture. They should have made the perfect ruling couple. Two intellectually gifted, learned people but there was one thing, or person, standing in their way. Piers Galveston. And I'll be using his first name to reflect the familiar nature between him and the royal family. Piers had been a member of Edward's household since at least 1300, and his closest friend since 1306. Piers had been granted the wardship of Roger Mortimer in 1304 by Edward I at Edward II's request. There are suggestions, likely correct, that Piers and Edward were lovers. Their romantic or sexual feelings for each other, though, aren't what impact Isabella's life, surprisingly, nor England. It's instead Piers's complete control of Edward's political decisions that has the greatest impact on our story. Edward was completely entranced by his favorite, to the point of losing reason. And this would have a huge impact on all three of their lives. Isabella's introduction to England should have been perfect, and it almost was. She was the daughter of a powerful king, joining another powerful family. Her half-aunt was the Dowager Queen, and would be there to guide her in her new role. Her two uncles had accompanied her to make sure her affairs were arranged. The only problem with her entree was Piers. He had arranged a rightfully extravagant coronation banquet with amazing entertainment, well-designed sets, and all the richness a queen deserved. Sadly, it appears that Piers forgot the party was for the queen and not himself. His arms were displayed with Edward's instead of Isabella's. He sat in her place next to her husband. He was the best dressed of all those in attendance. Her uncle, Charles of Valois, and Louis of Evreux, the father of the future Philip IV of France and Philip the Wise of Navarre, respectively, were enraged by this slight to their niece. Treating her poorly was an insult to France. They were also angered that Edward II had not properly invested Isabella in her dower lands. While her father had given her 20,000 livres as a wedding gift, that was for her enjoyment. Edward was to provide for her needs, and hadn't yet. A woman's dowry was her financial protection. It would maintain her household, dress her, pay for her needs and charitable distributions. Her uncles would have known they couldn't stay in England forever to look after her. Charles probably needed to get back to planning the poisonings of all his nephews and great-nephews, or plotting his failed election as Holy Roman Emperor. Just for those who still think Charles was going around poisoning his family members, 
Do any of you think peers wouldn't have been first on his list? This on its own makes me think Charles wasn't sneaking around poisoning anyone. Isabella's finances needed to be arranged, but Edward II delayed. He even gave her wedding gifts from her father to peers. Isabella's uncles surely would have reported the slights their niece received to her father. Philip the Fair was a proud man, rightly so. His kingdom was one of the greatest in Europe. Hearing of his daughter's treatment would have enraged him. I've mentioned in earlier episodes, Philip and his children were very close and supportive of each other, but oddly not each other's children. This can be further seen with Philip and his brothers. Louis of Ivreux was Philip the Fair and Charles of Valois' half-brother. Louis's mother had been accused of poisoning one of her stepsons and wasn't always the kindest to her husband's older children. Despite this and their political differences, the brothers were each other's supporters. Philip the Fair would also have heard from his half-sister, Edward I's widow, Margaret of France, that Piers was deeply unpopular among the English nobility. Philip the Fair did what any powerful father would have done when his youngest child was treated poorly. He used his power. He demanded that Edward II secure his daughter's dower lands and that Piers be banished. Edward II had both his nobles and his father-in-law and liege lord, with regards to Gascony, calling for the removal of Piers. He gave in. What was Isabella doing throughout this process? Well, being a young teenager, there wasn't much she could do. If you remember back to Empress Matilda's episodes, queens were meant to do a few things. Intercede to help their husbands save face when he had been too harsh with rebels. Endow religious institutions and assist the poor through charity. Most importantly though, to have children. Having children also gave a queen power. She had done her most important duty and would have a say in the raising of her children. The Queen Mother was often one of the biggest influences on her children. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Thankfully for her health, Isabella hadn't had any children. Obviously, she was very young, but that hadn't stopped other royal couples. Edward II's own parents lost their first child, a stillborn girl, in 1255 when his mother was at the most 14. His parents were separated from each other, at least overnights, until his mother had a chance to mature physically. While young marriages were normal in the noble and royal families, many couples waited to have children until the wife had grown up a bit. Because Isabella hadn't had children, she had very little power. After her father's demands, Piers was sent away, and her lands and marriage settlement were arranged. Edward II had allowed Piers much control. Most of it seems to have been used to enrich Piers and his family. While he acted as Edward II's advisor, he wasn't politically astute. His elevation above others who thought him unworthy due to his low birth was one problem, but his grasping nature and greed enraged them even more. With him gone, the nobles were finally able to begin influencing Edward, or so they thought. His barons wanted to re-engage in war with Scotland. Edward managed to manipulate the situation in the only way his politics would let him. He allowed Piers to return while making his barons think they had control. He allowed a council of ordainders to take over control. In 1310, Edward decided leading his army to the Scottish border would be his way to win back control. He wanted his lover and his kingdom. Isabella joined him as did Piers. Edward's goals were to protect Piers and to win glory on the battlefield. He went without support of the major nobles and leading military men of his kingdom. Facing off against the strength of Robert the Bruce's well-oiled guerrilla military was never going to end well. Bruce avoided meeting Edward in open battle. After eight months of being harried, Edward returned to London with Isabella leaving Piers behind as his lieutenant in Scotland. Isabella may have been hoping with Piers gone, she would finally have her husband's attention. As if to rub his failures in Scotland in his face and remind Edward's nobles how useless Piers was, Bruce successfully attacked and raided northern England. Edward's ordinaries put to him a list of 41 demands in 1311. Forty of those demands related exclusively to his public leadership. One related to his private relationship. It demanded the removal of peers, again. His nobles and in-laws 
would probably have put up with peers if Edward would do his job or even let them do it. Isabella seemed to have resigned herself to having Pierce as part of her life. They were unlikely to have ever been friends, but she had found a way to live with his presence in her life. And as it turns out, she wouldn't have to put up with him for that long. Spoilers! In 1312, two exciting things happened in Isabella's life. The first was probably rather terrifying as well. Civil war broke out early in that year. Isabella stood by her husband and traveled with him and Piers to Scarborough Castle, Piers' stronghold, which Piers fortified. Isabella and Edward traveled on to York. Piers was besieged in his castle and quickly surrendered to the Earls of Surrey and Pembroke. He had been promised safe escort by the Earl of Pembroke. The besieging forces found a large store of gold and jewels in his castle. On their return to London for peers to face charges of theft and violating the ordinances of 1311, the Earl of Pembroke left peers under guard and visited his wife. During this time, peers was seized by the Earl of Warwick. Peers was tried by an assembly of barons for his violation of the ordinances and found guilty. He was executed on the 19th of June. While the trial was meant to be legal, Edward saw it as illegitimate and did not take the news well, not surprisingly. He swore vengeance, but would not be able to carry it out for years. The earls who executed peers included Edward's cousin and Isabella's maternal half-uncle, Thomas of Lancaster. The uncle of Henry I, Duke of Lancaster, mentioned in Joan's episode. Yes, everyone is related. Edward's anger towards his cousin would only end with Thomas's death, but the king would bide his time. The second thing happened in November and was probably almost as terrifying while it was happening, but wonderful once it was over. On the 13th of November, she gave birth to her first child, Edward of Windsor, the future Edward III. In 1313, the royal couple traveled to Paris. It was this trip that set in motion the Tour de Nel affair. Isabella gifted her brothers, Louis and Charles, and sisters-in-law, Margaret and Blanche, hand-embroidered purses. The ones given to Margaret and Blanche would be seen by Isabella on two nights later in England. When searching the basics on this affair, it will often be suggested that Isabella planned the entire affair as a scheme to have her infant son become King of England and France by eliminating her brother's wives. This is absurd when considering the facts. Her oldest brother, Louis, the future Louis X, was only 24, and Charles was 17. Louis's daughter had been born less than a year earlier, and Charles hadn't even had his first child. The conspiracy that could be thwarted by her brother's remarrying seems a bit beneath the intelligence of Isabella. She may only have been 16, but she wasn't dumb. More likely, Isabella was gifting her sister-in-law lovely purses, and once she realized that her sisters-in-law were betraying her brothers, she wanted to protect her family's honor. While visiting Paris, Isabella took the cross, with the caveat that she would only need to go on crusade to accompany her husband. Yes, the daughter of the man who destroyed one of the greatest protectors of pilgrims to the Holy Land had taken the cross. The couple returned to England, having secured Gascony and her family's ongoing support. With Piers gone, again, 
Isabella must have been hoping that Edward would have had time to focus on governing and building their family. Edward decided it was time to finish something his father had died trying to do. He was going to hammer the Scots. To my Scottish listeners, please know I am using that phrase with all irony intended. Isabella accompanied Edward north to Berwick Castle. He left her there on the 14th of June, and expectations were high. But Isabella and England would be disappointed. Weeks later, Edward rejoined Isabella. That lets him off too lightly. He had fled the field of battle, been turned away at the nearest castle, Stirling, since it was now under Scottish lordship based on the rules of war, and had not stopped running until he reached the coast. The Battle of Bannockburn would begin the process of assuring Scottish independence for 400 years. Isabella was left with a defeated husband who had very little power over his nobles. He was still broken emotionally, rightly, by the murder of his lover. And now he would have no easy way to punish those at fault. And things were about to get much worse. 1315 saw the start of the Great Famine. While Isabella wouldn't have been directly impacted by the famine, her wealth and position protected her from actual hunger. It made her husband's reign even less secure. Her uncle, Thomas of Lancaster, also took more control of the kingdom and further limited her finances. Isabella gave birth to a second child, a son, John, in 1316. Between the birth of John and hers and Edward's first daughter, Eleanor, in 1318, the couple had to deal with the embarrassment of a pretender claiming to be the true son of Edward I. Edward II would have this pretender, John of Powderham, hanged. Edward and Thomas of Lancaster made peace, or at least pretended to, in August of 1318, with Isabella's assistance. The Treaty of Leek was the king in Lancaster's attempt to put aside hostilities. In 1319, the king would lead his troops north to address the Scottish raiding that had gone unchecked since Bannockburn. Isabella had come north as far as York with her husband, as was the wifely thing to do. While waiting patiently to hear of her husband's wins against the Scot... <laughs> okay, I'm kidding. <laughs> Robert the Bruce was not an easy opponent. She was warned that a Scottish party led by the Black Douglas was nearing her location with plans to take her hostage. Isabella quickly fled to safety, but knowing one of the great Scottish generals of her day hadn't almost captured her would have been terrifying. It showed her husband's weakness. His wife wasn't safe in their own kingdom. Edward's second attempt to subjugate the Scots or even protect English territory didn't go any better than the first had. Edward agreed to a two-year truce with Robert the Bruce, partially due to the loss of Thomas of Lancaster's support, surprise, and partially to allow time for him and Isabella to travel to France. Listeners of the early shows in the series will know that Philip V was now king of France, having usurped Joan II of Navarre. While he had been crowned in January of 1317, he hadn't pushed for his brother-in-law to pay homage for Gascony at first. Edward hadn't done so for Louis X and had originally declined to do so for Philip V. However, by 1319, Philip was secure enough in his rule to demand his brother-in-law's homage. Edward was allowed to do so by proxy in 1319, 
but needed to go in person in 1320. This would be the couple's first visit since 1314. Their last visit had kicked off the Tour de Nel affair. This visit would be far less scandalous and allowed Isabella to visit her surviving brothers. The couple would ask for assistance from her brothers to help put a stop to the Baron's control in England. And they would need that help. At least Edward would. Before I continue with the story, I will need to take a break. Any good or even mediocre writer, oh, hi, will form a story in three acts. Isabella's story, though, is way too much for one episode. She has more than three acts. We've already covered the first three. Her birth, marriage, and embarrassment by peers, her finding her place within the royal court before the final act with the death of peers and her giving birth to the future king. Little would anyone know that the second film would be even more exciting. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Past. I can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at PastPod. That's P-A-S-S-E-D-P-O-D. Please feel free to email me at pastpod at gmail.com. I have a Patreon that can be found at patreon.com forward slash pastpod. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.